Ahoy ho everyone, welcome to episode 127 of the Untitled Gaming Podcast. My name is Pat, today I'm joined by Rick, Rick, and Zach. Hello! It's that time of year again, Chance is back at the Lamppost and Cactus Festival, he could not get enough of it last year. Was it lampposts made out of cacti, or cacti made out of lampposts? I'm sure they had both, and individually (laughs) at the (laughs) festival. But we'll hear all about that next time he's back on. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We're a gaming podcast that aims to entertain as well as inform. We discuss the week's biggest gaming news, game impressions, reviews, and talk about the gaming industry in general. Of course, we don't only discuss games. Occasionally, we talk about movies, TV shows. Do you guys use a case on your cell phone? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you have to. Why wouldn't you? Yes. I actually, It actually tweaks me when people don't. My case is a little beat up. You can see a part of it is missing here and here. Yeah, so I actually got this phone. My phone was delivered like two days early before my case. So I literally had my phone bare. Like I was raw dogging the phone for two days. Oh, don't say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) And it fell fell out of my hands in the garage. And look at the back. The back crack. Oh, no. Literally two days out of the case. I don't understand how people do this like forever. I I have I have a friend of mine who perpetually has never ever put a case on his phone. He raw dogs it all the time. All the time. He never has a case on his phone, and he always drops it, and it never cracks. It's unbelievable. You know what? It's Friday night. You know the kids asleep. I'm gonna raw dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. It's so dirty. You have to always so make sure you're, dirty. you have to always make sure you're using protection. And honestly, I didn't realize how like thin my phone was too. This is this is nice. Yeah, I highly re- recommend. Mine feels so much lighter without the case. It's like ridiculous. I recommend raw dogging it late night Friday nights. Yeah, just once in a while, you know, just to see the difference. You know, you appreciate the phone a little more. It honestly, it better. feels better. Oh god! Of course, it feels better, but that's not the point. <laughs> Anyway, this week we'll be talking about the state of licensed games. But first, what have you been playing? Zach, I don't see anything on your list here. Yeah, so uh, I've, I've really only played Stray. Uh, and it was very minimal. I got really busy with school uh, this week. I had a couple presentations and stuff that I was preparing for. So, Any dioramas? Uh, no, more like the visual. There were visual aids and no dioramas or nothing. But It's a community joke. <laughs> anyway so how was stray how far did you get uh i'm at the end of it right now um based on what chan said for his playthrough he said it was like four to f- or five to six hours i'm at like four and a half right now so i'm pretty close to the end um i've i've been enjoying it um me and de- me and chance will go more in depth on it because uh, we'll be doing like the same discussion that you you guys did with uh, as dusk falls we'll be doing something similar with stray um, but I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's I, Again, the gameplay isn't challenging, but it is something nice that's just kind of like minimal, not too much like mental engagement and stuff like that. Um, but the story is still like mildly interesting about like robots wanting to try to get to the outside world and stuff like that. You're like one of the only like living things in the game. Like you're, you're just in uh, contact with robots constantly. That's what you think. Wait till you get to the end of that game. That's a ghost cat. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's not like the most compelling storyline you'll ever have, 
Um, but it at least is like mildly interesting to like get you moving forward. I wish though, from a platforming perspective, we've talked about it, how it's just like pressing X to to platform. Since that's like the uh like primary movement of the game, like that gives it the verticality. I wish it was um free jumping. Yeah, yeah. I wish it was free jumping where like my own like skill, quote unquote, in platforming would be at the forefront as opposed to me just like pressing X and never having to worry about falling off or anything like that but then again you're a cat and cat cats are really good at doing those things so but yeah that's basically all i played this week uh rick what have you been playing well thank you zach well i picked up a little bit more on uh as dust falls before moron. our review <laughs> you said moron <laughs> i i said moron yeah i've you picked up you, a little moron <laughs> You picked up a little sorry, more on. He's he's thirteen months old. He he's not, <laughs> that, he's, he's not fully developed yet. No, I picked up a little bit more of uh, as dust falls uh, before our review. Just kind of like get a little bit fresh on it. You can go back and choose different paths. That's always fun. But finally put that down and resumed God of War twenty eighteen, which I have finally completed this week. I'm happy it's finally done. As I said on the last podcast, I put it down for three years. I had a dog I had to put down for three years. My God! I'm sorry. God. I'm sorry. For, for three years, so you had to bring it back. <laughs> Goodness gracious! <laughs> anyway. So I beat God of War. <laughs> yes, that's where we were. Sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was good. Kind of wish it had more giant climb up quick time event enemies like the old god of wars had there were like a couple of them but you know i was expecting a little bit more the cinematic boss fights yeah yeah and the enemies seemed a little repetitive um just in my personal opinion the story was good i like the story it worked out pretty well um i'm excited about the sequel now like now i actually have a, a dog in this fight and now that i beat 2018 i'm, I'm excited to see how ragnarok plays out and I'm more influenced to buy it for my PS4. All right. So this is a question four years in the making now. The 2018 Tuggies were a controversial affair. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, because Rick was just flabbergasted that Assassin's Creed Odyssey won. It was the better. It was the best game that year. I'll say it. I'm not afraid to say it. Um, but now that you've beaten 2018, God of War 2018, would your vote have changed? For that Tuggies, if you had beaten it that year? Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, of course. So you think God of War is better than Red Dead? No, no, no. God of War is better than Assassin's Creed Odyssey. But you would vote it for Red Dead. That's what I was asking. Would yeah, I would have gone Red Dead. Because that was back when like the each, each thing we voted for had like a certain amount of points per like rank. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been Red Dead, God of War, Assassin's Creed. Spider-Man. I still think Assassin's Creed would have won, but because me and yeah. Zach both had it number one, and then Chance had it number two or three. Woo, Assassin's Creed! <laughs> Close that old wound. <laughs> Reopen it. <laughs> yeah. Come on, we're a reputable video game podcast now. Four years in the making. Like, let's, <laughs> let's not advertise that we put an Assassin's Creed game as a game of the year. The, it was the best game that year. Far from it. Um, <laughs> so once I beat God of War, <laughs> um, I'm yeah. If you notice the theme of games I've been playing this year, it's games I picked up before that 
I've put down and never beaten. So after God of War, I picked up Disco Elysium, this time on the Xbox. At first, I was like, man, it's really weird playing this with a controller, because before I was playing with PC. But what I forgot was when I was playing on PC, I was playing with an Xbox controller. And I was like, wait, no, <laughs> this feels about right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, as I've toted before, it's a wonderful game. I realized how little I've gotten into it before, considering how much I played for the Xbox now. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to get into it. So usually my nightly ritual is I come home, uh, play about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of Disco Elysium, and then it kind of gets a little bit much. Sometimes I need to kind of take a step back and go back, at, go back at it with like a fresh mindset. So right before bed, I tend to turn off Disco Elysium and turn on Power Washing Simulator. Because as far as like Zen games, holy shit, I can put on an audiobook. I can like watch YouTube videos and just sit there and power wash. And it's funny with the vibration and how like much you have to like hold down the button. It feels like actual power washing. Because that's the one thing I hate about power washing is like eventually your hand kind of goes numb. You don't have to <laughs> hold down the button. Right on the D-pad is a toggle on and off. So you can just like just keep spraying? Yeah. You just press right on the D-pad. It's right or left. One of those. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, I don't know. I like the immersive experience, Pat. All right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I've been I've been playing that. It's very addicting. It's a lot of fun. Um, I like to think it's a little bit more forgiving than the lawn mowing simulator. I don't think you have to be, like, as thorough. Um, but, yeah. It's just been... A lot of fun, and then also um, I had my computer out a couple times this past week, and go like waiting for my my switch to charge. And I picked up my switch, and I never really played anything for it because I was just so overwhelmed by options. Or like my phone was charging, I'd get on my laptop and I played a few rounds of golfy. Not a whole lot of golfy, but whenever I have my computer out, definitely I've been getting some golfy turns in there. So yeah, haven't really been playing too much else. Um, Focused a lot on God of War, now moving on to Disco Elysium. Um, so, Pat, what have you been playing? So, funny that you bring up Power Washing Simulator. I actually also played the first level of it. Uh, I played it on cloud with touch controls because I was uh, over at my uh, cousin's house. I was hanging out with my niece and nephew, and uh, they were, you know, like 10, 11. So they're on their iPads like the entire time. So um, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I pull out my phone and I'm like going through uh, Game Pass games. I gave one of them uh, Psychonauts to play and she was playing. Hell it. yeah. She, she really enjoyed it. And like it, it was my save file after I'd already beaten the game. So it's like you're just going doing like, you know, random cleanup stuff. But she ended up getting an achievement and got really into like one of the mini game sections. And uh after that, you know, she's doing her own thing on her iPad. So I'm like looking through it and I'm like, yeah, power wash simulator. I remember Rick talking about it. So I turned it on and surprisingly it, it felt good on touch controls on cloud. And that's where I figured out the, the right uh, on the D pad is, is the nozzle or the, the lock or whatever, because sometimes when you're trying to move, you accidentally hit, the right on the d-pad on the touch controls because they're so close together and then it just kept spraying so i'm like oh okay cool so i did one level of that uh just a quick like 10 minute thing and it, it, was, it was fun I, I i don't see myself doing it like 
every night or anything, but, you know, occasionally pop in, just, you know, have a podcast or something on or uh, episode of community on in the background or something. It's totally relaxing and kind of helps you decompress a little bit. Uh, besides that, I, I've been playing uh, Multiverses, uh, which is the WB Smash clone. Um, it's free to play. Once you do the tutorial, I think you have four characters unlocked. Those are Superman, Wonder Woman, Steven Universe guy, maybe? I don't, or maybe Adventure Time guy. I don't know. One of those guys. And then a completely unique character to this game called Rain Dog, which is a reindeer, but a dog that they've made for this game. I don't know why they did that, but they did. So, uh, maybe, maybe he'll get his own show. (laughs) Yeah. So I've been uh, out of those four that you get for free. I've just been maining uh, Wonder Woman because she's got, you know, a sword and it's easy to play and pick up as her like because I'm a link main on Smash. So I was I've been doing that. Um, I've played maybe like three or four games total online against people. Um, And I think my win loss rate is like 50 percent or something because this guy was playing Taz and just kept killing me because Taz is like, I would do enough damage to like, I thought I would like knock him off, but he would always like come back and then do some weird hurricane move and then like toss me off or whatever. So, um, it's, it's a weird system. It's not completely like smash. It's basically, um, you do have stocks, but the default things are two lives a piece or five minutes. So as soon as the five minutes are up, if none of you have died twice, it'll take into account damage or whatever. Uh, but if you die twice, then that round is over. And then it goes to like, it says like match point once you throw somebody off or something, but, uh, very much like smash. If you're a fan of smash, you're going to enjoy it. It is on, um, Xbox, uh, PlayStation and PC, uh, all, you know, cross play, cross progression. Uh, it is not on switch yet, which I found odd because, yeah, graphically, it seems like it can run on Switch. I think they said they're f- just focused because it's in open beta right now. It's not officially out, technically. Um, but I think eventually it will come to Switch because why would you just leave money on the table like that? Um, and I so yeah, like I said, I've played like three or four matches, and I am right on the cusp of unlocking a new character, like getting enough in-game currency to unlock a new character. So it's not super hard to do that. Do you have to play online to unlock new characters? Yeah, so you can play custom games, and the only way you earn the gold in custom games is at the end of the game, you like give kudos to uh, one of the people you're playing with, and then I think you earn 100 gold. But if you're playing uh, online, you also earn gold for completing a match, and then there's challenges uh, that you can only do on online play. You can't do those in custom games. So usually, yeah, it's like you have to play online. Uh, if you want to unlock, but you are also able to buy characters. I think it's like right around five to six bucks per character. Um, not, yeah, not like terrible if you really want to play as somebody, but not something that I personally would pony up the cash for, but it seems like within an hour of playing, you unlock a character, you have enough to unlock a character. Um, different characters are also different prices. So I'm, I'm trying to unlock Batman and I think he is one of the more expensive ones and I'm like, right. I think I have to play one more match before I unlock him. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and then I think, yeah, they have like eight or nine characters right now and they're promising more. I think Morty's on the way. And then, um, they have a lot of 
WB characters to kind of um, have a pool of WB characters to pull from. And it feels good. Like it, 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 it's a smash clone. Yes. It's not as good as smash, but it's not bad. It feels good to play. And I think all the characters are well balanced. Uh, there are some nuances to this that is kind of different than smash. They kind of focus on two V two. Like that's their ideal way to play. And then there are some abilities uh, certain characters have that kind of assist with that two on two. Uh, for example, uh, wonder woman can pull a teammate who's on the, who's like about to fall off the ledge. She can use her lasso to pull them back. So you're kind of like assisting um, people. I think the reindeer or the rain dog has something similar uh, to that too. Um, a lot of synergy bit between the characters and each of them feel good to play. Plus it's all the original voice actors and music cues and stuff you remember. So they've done a good job. Like care has gone into designing each of these characters. So uh, definitely worth a play for free to play. Um, if you are a hardcore smash player, I don't think this is going to take you away from that. But if you are somebody who's casually playing smash and you're like, I enjoy that, but the internet is terrible in smash. This will probably speak to you. Besides that, I have been uh, still playing Live Alive. I'm still doing the uh, Twilight of Edo Japan storyline. Um, when I had originally talked about it, I said I was going the more stealth route because when I killed somebody, it said kill count one. And I'm like, okay, this is telling me I shouldn't kill people. So I restarted to do the stealthy run. Since then, I have been killing everyone. <laughs> and let me tell you, <laughs> the battling system is fun. And you level up. Like, you only get XP. Once you kill people. So I've been leveling up. I've been unlocking new attacks and I have this really powerful wind attack. Now I'm like throwing, uh, the little ninja stars at people and like taking on multiple opponent opponents at once. So yeah, I'm killing everybody. And it is, I, re I highly recommend you play that way for, uh, the, t the twilight of Edo Japan storyline. But, uh, I'm pretty close to the end of that one. And I think I'm going to start the, uh, I've heard good things about the caveman one and then uh, there's also an old west one. So uh, I'm definitely I'm not going to like burn through it. I think I'm going to take my time and kind of play them uh, over the course of a month or something instead of burn through all of them in one night. It's it's like two to three hours per storyline. But uh, yeah, so live alive is I highly recommend that. And then I do want to talk about a code that I got for a game called South of the Circle. So the code was actually given to me by the publisher 11-Bit Studios. Uh, the developer is State of Play, not to be confused with the Sony marketing term. Um, but South of the Circle originally released, uh, I believe, in 2020 for the iPhone on Apple Arcade. Uh, since then, it has been ported to uh, console. It is on PlayStation, Xbox, PC, and Switch now. Um and when I say mobile game, it is, it's, it's a high caliber mobile game, but it's still a mobile game. It's very, you know, it's not like technically the most proficient game you've ever played. Uh, there are some clipping, there's some, uh, framey bits and stuff like that. Um, but overall it's, it's like a narrative choice game and you, so it takes place in 1964. Uh, you take on the ro the role of, uh, Peter and he is a uh, researcher who is going to the Antarctic uh, to study weather pattern, like cloud patterns and weather. And uh, his plane crash lands and the pilot has a broken leg. So now it's up to Peter to go to the, the British base that's like within like an hour or so from where the plane crashes 
uh, he has to go there to get help for the uh, the pilot. And as you're going there, Peter flashbacks to earlier moments in his life uh, that usually revolve around meeting uh, his uh, love interest, which is Clara. And it kind of gives you flashes of how their relationship started. And like you, you can make choices uh, like dialogue choices and stuff like that. It is a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for obtuse in the, in the amount of choices, like uh, for example, mass effect. Usually it gives you like, uh, do you want to say this or do you want to say that? And then sometimes you'll pick, Oh, uh, what do you mean by that? And then Shepard will be like, what the fuck do you mean by that? Like the tone isn't yeah. conveyed in the choice. Yep. So this is very much that same problem, but for every choice, because they're not giving you straight dialogue choices. They're giving you symbols that represent <laughs> stuff. <ideas. laughs> yeah. So there's a symbol of a sun which is supposed to represent you being inspirational or like excited. Um, there's a symbol of like a, a, a red dot, which means you're going to be like negative and a pat. <laughs> no, like uh, unsure of yourself. Um, and then there's one where you're going to be like condescending and like more narcissistic. So you have all these different choices. The first time a symbol comes up, it shows you what that symbol means. Like little dots, pop, like uh, words pop up around it. But after you've picked that symbol a couple of times, those words go away. So if you come back, like, you know, if you stop playing and you come back the next night and then you're like, oh, shit, was this symbol negative or was this symbol confidence? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. So uh, there were a couple of times where I, like, chose something to say. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to say that at all. Like, that, what the fuck? Um, and then they have, like, big choices that it impact the story. And those are represented by a symbol that you you don't usually know what that means. Like, for example, the first time you meet Clara, um, she asks you, like, what you do or whatever. And you can you – it shows a picture of a man with a, uh, a graduate's hat and then a man just standing there. So I'm like – graduate hat or whatever and then now he introduces himself as dr uh peter i forget his last name but so now she is making fun like she's uh because you did that throughout the rest of the game she's referring to you as doctor like you know like oh mr doctor over here so uh it's it's a little obtuse in the choices but the dialogue and the voice acting is really well done i really like this story i do enjoy the uh the questions it uh, proposes on like uh, memory and like reliving choices and like putting, putting career versus uh, significant other and like those choices we make and stuff like that. And uh, survival uh, is one of the themes cause you're in the Antarctic um, and it takes place during a really uh, tumultuous time for uh, the UK and you know, the cold war is happening and we've seen a lot of the cold war through both the American and the Russian perspective, but not really a lot through the British. So, um, interesting to get that side of it. And I do really enjoy it. If you play the whole game in one sitting, it'll probably take you maybe three hours, uh, maybe a little longer. If you're kind of like, there are some sections you can explore in like third person. Um, so if you kind of like try and hit every nook and cranny, it might take you a little longer, but um, I'd say like, yeah, like three hours is probably the time, like a, a, lo- like a little bit of a long movie. Um, you can do it in one sitting if you want. I think I played over the course of like three different nights, an hour each, but overall I did really enjoy it. But again, you can, you can see the seams and the rough edges 
I think budget was an issue, but hopefully the studio does well because I think they, they really got the story and the narrative portion of it down. They just need to kind of bring the, the gameplay and the, the polish up to that same level. So overall, I would probably say around like a 7.4, 7.5, uh, out of 10 for my review. Um, Thank you for the review code. Uh, it is, I think it's only like 10 bucks on uh, these platforms. So if that is something that interests you, go ahead and check it out. Um, South of the Circle, I would recommend it. But it is definitely my type of game. Uh, I've been playing a lot of narrative games recently uh, this year, and that is not a bad thing. So <laughs> uh, that is it for me. Um, some housekeeping. Go check out our uh, As Dusk Falls review. Uh, it is half spoiler. So at the first like 10, 11 minutes of it, we do spoiler free. Like we've done most of our review discussions. And then the last like 15 minutes of it or so are spoiler filled. So uh, go ahead. We had and- to talk about the spoiler stuff. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So go check that out. Um, and then we are going to be continuing our giveaway with a code of Battlefield 5. Uh, again, which is after right after Battlefield 1, so uh, a little confusing there. But uh, just like that code, this is going to be a PC code for EA. You have to redeem it through their origin service somehow. Um, but here is the code. A-J-S-A-J-B-V-3-H-F-G-B. L E four H T Z Z H. And again, that is battlefield five for EA origin. What's the news? What's the news? Not slow news. So not slow news is where we discuss the week's, uh, big gaming video game news. It's not, it's not fast, but it's not slow either. So jumping right into it. We did get some news, some rumors, of GTA 6. So there was a Bloomberg report by Jason Trier uh, that gave us some new details. Uh, according to his sources, which are people at Rockstar that want to remain anonymous, GTA 6 will feature dual protagonists in a story influenced by the robbers Bonnie and Clyde. So you will have the first ever female protagonist in a GTA game. That is like the main campaign, not because GTA Online, you could be a, a female. Uh, but this will be the first female in this in the campaign, and uh, she will also be Latina. Uh, it's going to be ta- it's going to be set in a fictional version of Miami, so a return to Vice City. the The sources did mention that uh, it's going to just start with Miami, so Vice City. Um, but they're going to be adding more cities and missions as the game progresses. So uh, I think kind of the success that they found with GTA Online. They're kind of be like designing this game with that in mind. So it'll probably be hopefully a smoother process to get other cities and locations in the game. You will we'll probably end up seeing Liberty City and San Andreas because those are famous locations they've already done. They probably already have like assets and stuff built for that. They just need to put some better textures and stuff on it and then um, port it over. But what do you guys think of that? I'm excited to go back to Vice City. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm excited for just new GTA stuff. That's, you know, I know we had the uh, the remasters, but uh, original <laughs> stories, I think. Yeah, exactly. And original story is something we haven't seen in a while. So I'm excited. 
Yeah, and a truly next gen GTA experience is going to be something special. So, uh, Rockstar is cleaning up their act because if you remember from a previous Bloomberg report, they talked about problems with uh, you know crunch and long work hours, forced overtime, and some bosses that were kind of like terrible to work with and not exactly abusive, but just not you know like not using their power in a in a moral way. So I heard like a frat culture. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of the changes that are now reported by some employees are that uh, they are recon- restructuring the design department to keep overtime under control. Uh, there's going to be changes to scheduling. Uh, they're converting contractors to full-time employees. Uh, and they're ousting several managers employees saw as abusive or difficult to work with. There's also uh, new mental health and leave benefits. Uh, a flex time policy that allows staff to immediately take time off for every hour worked on the weekend. So if you're like, you know, I'm free this weekend, but you know, I need to take some time off later. That's something that they can do now. Um, and a promise that excessive overtime and crunch will not be a part of this development like it was for GTA five. So all good things. Um, hopefully that, you know, better, developers better mental state of developers leads to a better product in the end so the report also says that they are going to avoid they're being cautious not to punch down by making jokes about marginalized groups so i know there's going to be a lot of people who are like oh gta is going woke like what is this that's not what gta is about what people are already doing that yeah it's funny because then other people on twitter are like oh yeah the game that does this, that, and the other is going woke. Oh yeah, sure. Like the game yeah. where you can actively like drive in into crowds of civilians and shit. Yeah, that's the game that's going woke. Yeah, and GTA has always been a parody. Um, like GTA right. Four was a parody of the American dream and like uh, coming to America and like working up and like you know you're supposed to earn your way and all that stuff and you know the follies of that. So. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to hinder them in any way. Uh, if anything, it's just not going to be making inappropriate, outdated jokes that maybe some of the other GTAs have had. But I think they'll still keep their level of writing and their level of parody. You can punch up and still have a fun, funny game. So when do you think GTA will come out? GTA 6, uh, I mean. 2024. 2024? Really? Um I think it'll be announced for 2024 and then delayed to 2025. I would say it's not coming out in the next couple of years or so. I would push like late 2025, maybe 2026. Really? Yeah. You think we'll get another GTA 5 remaster <laughs> between yeah. now and then? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, GTA 6, something to look forward to. Uh, again, this is all just a report by Jason Trier, so take this with a, a grain of salt. Um, next up, what VR talking about? Oh, God, we, I saw that. We could be talking about VR. So, in an unprecedented move, Meta announced a price increase for their Meta Quest 2 headset. Um, they announced this on July 26th, and they said the price is going to increase in August. Uh, by $100, uh, as of today, August 5th, I, I checked a couple of sites, 
the price increase is in effect. So the 128 GB model is now 399. It used to be 299, and then the 256 model is now 499. It used to be 399. Um, but for a limited time, you will get a, a free copy of Beat Saber with every headset purchased, oh, not a that. $100 value. <laughs> Love that. So, <laughs> so uh, Rick, you, you got a, a MetaQuest 2 recently. Which model do you have? I have the 128. Are you happy with the, the storage capacity there? Yeah, honestly, so far I haven't filled it up. Um, and, yeah, I, have, I really have no issues. And even if I do have to, like, delete one game, it's not like it's lost forever. You know, I can just re-download it. It doesn't take too long to download. Do you think the 128 gig model is worth the 400? Uh, it's <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, um, they are officially citing the uh, cost of like the rising, rising inflation and the cost of shipping as the reason for the price increase. Uh, but I mean, inflation is affecting everybody, not just them. It's also affecting their customers. So, I don't know. It, it just seems very weird. And I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember a piece of gaming hardware ever getting a price increase after launch. <laughs> Unless you buy it secondhand. And it's yeah, a PS5. I guess. Yeah. From scalpers, but this is officially the MSRP going up. So crazy, crazy move here. And I, I don't see this being in their benefit um, because yeah, maybe in that like, one week period where you announced it before the price effect price went into effect. They probably had a lot of people buying it just because they're like, shit. Oh, I was on the fence. It's going to go up a hundred dollars next week. Might as well buy it now. So I'm sure they had a lot like an influx of sales then, but since then I'm assuming say like sales would have slowed down. Right. I mean, yeah, but also maybe, maybe like they're maybe something big's going to happen or maybe they're going to refine it and make it, slightly better than what it is right now and they know they're going to be doing that or maybe they're putting a lot of money into it um so maybe yeah you know lost sales christmas 2022 is one thing but like increased sales christmas 2023 is another yeah i guess yeah maybe maybe like they're getting people used to this price point because they're going to be launching a new headset because it's been what metaquest 2 came out 2020 it's been two years so maybe next year they come out with uh, MetaQuest 3 or whatever. But um, keeping in the same VR space here, uh, on that same day, actually, uh, Sony gave us more details on the PSVR 2, uh, some features that they talked about. So there's a see-through view. So it allows you to use the cameras on the outside of the device to actually view your surroundings while you are wearing the headset. So, you know, if you're like, oh, shit, we're... I need to check my phone, but I have the VR headset on. You don't have to take it off now. You can just tap a button and then uh, check your phone and then go back into the game or whatever. Um, they did go out of their way to say you can only view with these cameras. You can't record. So if you have that PS5 HD camera uh, peripheral that came out with the PS5, you're able to you know, stream and broadcast yourself using that. Um, you also have the ability to scan your room with the, the PSVR sensors and customize the play area boundary using your controllers, something 
a lot of modern headsets have as a feature. I didn't even realize the PSVR didn't have that. I don't have the PSVR, but a lot of the headsets do that now. So like if you are playing a VR game and you actually go like too close to a boundary, it'll come up with a warning and tell you like, Hey, you're close to your couch. You shouldn't go there. So yeah, mine will come up like the quest two will come up with a warning. And then like, like sometimes like say if I'm like in pause, like I, and I want to see how the dog's doing or see where I'm oriented in my room. I will look outside of my play area and kind of peek out and be like, okay, good dog. Or like, okay, my TV's (laughs) right there. Yeah. So quality of life improvements that I didn't realize weren't on the PSVR. So it's good that we're getting these on the PSVR too. Um, and then there's also cinematic mode. So players can view the PS5 system and UI and all non VR games and media content on the virtual screen. So if you're viewing the con- the cinematic mode, uh, it'll be displayed in 1920 by 1080 HDR video format with either 24 or 60 Hertz mode. And then also 128 uh, Hertz frame rate. So basically, uh, most VR headsets allow you to do that, but because the resolution of the headset so close to your eye, it's not really a great experience. This will be a better experience, probably not as good as you just watching your TV, but if your TV is occupied, now you have a, a decent way to play non-VR games in a big screen while you have the headset on. So, Yeah, so with the MetaQuest 2 price increase... Where do you guys think the price will land for the PSVR 2? I would say probably about 400. 400? Yeah, thereabouts. Let me look up how much was the PSVR 1. I thought it was like 300. PSVR at launch was 399. That was for the price of the version without the PSVR camera, so you still needed to buy that separate. I think the bundle with everything was 500. I don't know. It seems weird for the PSVR to be that expensive even when MetaQuest is increasing their price because MetaQuest is just the headset. You don't need any other hardware to be able to play VR games with the MetaQuest 2. With the PSVR, you still need a PS5. So that's not going to be suddenly gone as a requirement. Uh, everything that's being done processing-wise is still happening on the PS. Five, and the PSVR is just your display. So I don't think they can compete with MetaQuest 2 at that $500 price point. Um, so I think they need to get it down to 400 I don't yeah, know if they can. Sense. You don't think they can? I don't know if they can. With the rising inflation, rising costs of uh, shipping and everything, that's affecting them as well. Plus, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they delay it a little bit internally. Like obviously they haven't announced a, a release date for the PSVR, just so they can get a cheaper manufacturing going. Because I, I don't know, it's it's global chip shortage. All this is happening, and I don't know. Maybe you come out at five hundred, and you still have the loyal like PlayStation fans that'll get that'll be able to get it because. And they have a PS5, but the PS5 is is pretty rare to get right now anyway. So yeah, I think you need to pack in some games. That's what you have to do to add value to make this a, a better experience. Like yeah, sure you can get a MetaQuest Two right now for five hundred, or for five hundred you get the PSVR 
Horizon, and I don't know what else is uh, Half Life Alex. That would be that would be something I think people would buy. So, but again, they'd have to make like a third party deal or something. So maybe not Half Life Alex. Maybe some other VR like game. A Resident Evil. There you go. They have a good relationship with uh, Capcom, so that would make sense. Um, also, I think another way to add value to the PSVR is to make it work on PC as well. Not just the PlayStation, because the PSVR 1 was never officially supported on the PC. They had uh, like mods and third-party you know, people were creating workarounds to make it work, but it was never officially supported. But with PlayStation going more PC focused, I think that's a that's a smart move because now you can also sell your exclusive PlayStation VR games on PC if you do that. So, just a thought there. But yeah, I'll be interested to see. They said they are going to announce some more details, including the uh, release date and everything soon. Uh, maybe in. If they've done a September showcase for PlayStation the last two years, I'm expecting another September showcase. Maybe that's where they like kind of lift the lid on this and give us a release date or something. What do you guys think? I guess with uh, Meta's move and raising the price, I think it might influence PlayStation kind of back off a little bit. I would say early some, next a little year. bit more breathing room, right? Yeah. yeah, I'd say early, early. I would say early 2023. Early 2023, Zach. Is would early twenty twenty three be is that realistic? I guess I don't know. I mean, or would they want to push that into? I mean, at the beginning of this year, I thought for sure it was going to be fall this year, but that's becoming less and less likely with every passing day. Right. So if it's is it something we could see happening maybe fall of twenty twenty three, or would they try to shoot for something like first quarter of the year? I guess which would be more realistic. I guess. I don't think they have to launch in holiday. I think they need to have it on the market by holiday, uh, twenty twenty four. Would it? I guess. I guess. Would it? Would it be benefit? Would it benefit them more to, uh, like they have it on the market prior to the holiday, and then have the whole like like a certain amount of time, then maybe discount it come holiday time, or do they benefit from launching? I don't think they discount it. What if they release it? You know early 2023 like rick says and then come like holiday time there's now a bundle that includes a ps5 so now you have you know the headset is 500 the playstation is 500 but for 800 you get the playstation and the maybe maybe they have the digital playstation but you get a playstation and the vr headset yeah yeah i can yeah that would be so you're saving a hundred dollars essentially, but right now they're selling you a a digital PlayStation yeah. with it, yeah. So they make their money in the back end. So something like that, I could see happening. We we shall see. Hopefully, we get an official announcement sometime this year, and then I know Rick, you already have your MetaQuest too, so you're probably not. You don't even have a PS5, so you're probably yep. not looking at the PSVR two uh, <laughs> right now. Zach, what about you? Uh. A little bit, actually, yeah, the place that I'll be moving to um, in the next, like, several months or so has, like, a bigger space where I'll be setting up all my gaming stuff, uh, so it'll be a bit more feasible to do some of the VR stuff, so it's actually something that I wouldn't mind having. My, so I don't have the Meta Quest. I have an Oculus Rift, 
from like, I think that came out like 2016, 2017, maybe. Um, so it's kind of dated. Uh, when I put it on, you know, it's still, it works. I was able to play all of Half-Life Alex. Uh, resolution isn't super great. And then it needs the external uh, sensors to be able to work. It, it doesn't have everything in the headset. So my VR headset is dated. So I am looking for a replacement, but I would want something that works with both. So hopefully PlayStation officially supports PC. Um, if not, that might skew me to get probably another, maybe the valve index or something else that comes out that has similar specs. But, uh, I know PlayStation is going to have exclusive games that horizon game. If it doesn't make me motion sick, looks pretty cool in VR, but, um, ideally I'd want one that works with both, both platforms. So I'll be looking at it. I'll definitely pre-order it because I can always cancel pre-order. And I think these will be in high demand. Uh, but I'm not sure if I'm going to pull the trigger yet. All right. Moving on for to our last not slow news, uh, story here. There was a Pokemon presents, which talked about a bunch of things, uh, but we're only going to be focusing on the Scarlet and Violet details because all the other stuff was stuff I would never even heard of and frankly sounded made up. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Scarlet and Violet is going to be releasing on November 18th, 2022. Uh, previously, I think they had just said like holiday or something so that we have an official date now. Um, it takes place in the, uh, Paldea region. <laughs> they said it's a land of vast open spaces dotted with lakes, towering peaks, wastelands, and mountain ranges. So, uh, a lot of different biomes there for you to explore. Uh, they also said in the Pokemon presents that there's going to be three grand stories in the game. One of those stories is the traditional eight gems to become Pokemon champion. So interesting to see that there's going to, that's like only one third of the game. Technically, how do you guys feel about that? I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, could have more, but what, what, well, is, what sure. is that more going to be? Is that the, the elite four or whatever? You think they count that as a different grand story? Maybe, maybe the collecting of every Pokemon. Yeah. For me, it's, it's always been like, the uh, the quantity of Pokemon stories has never been the problem. It's the quality that is the <laughs> issue. So they are kind of fixing the wrong thing in my eyes. So we'll see if uh, any of the other grand stories are enough to keep us entertained for that long. They talked about multiplayer. So you're going to have local wireless play for up to two to four players uh, with online multiplayer for one to four players. Uh, and then the multiplayer is like you can trade, you can battle, or you can ex- explore locations uh, in the open world with friends. So, basic. I, I'm not sure. Like, what, do you think they'll let you do? They wouldn't let you do gym battles with friends, right? They shouldn't. That's that's your own. Yeah. That's your own stuff. So maybe just exploring and like doing, uh, capturing like Pokemon and stuff like that. Um, Let's talk about the legendaries because this was <laughs> I audibly like said what the fuck <laughs> as I was watching this part of the direct. So there's the two legendaries, one for each version. So for Scarlet you have Coriadon, and for Violet you have Myriadon. Both of them can be ridden 
like motorcycles for land, sea, and sky. But the, <laughs> the Coriodon, the Scarlet version, has the wheel as part of its anatomy. But it's like, fuck you, I'm old-fashioned, I'm just going to run on my legs instead of using the wheel. And then the Myriadon <laughs> is like, fuck you. I got a wheel. I'm going to be using that wheel. So it was like the most weird shit. Like, I don't know. It, it like originally I was very, uh, like Scarlet focused, but I'm like violet now. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this legendary? <laughs> Did you guys see the trailer? Yeah. I thought yeah, it was it's- funny. It's so weird. Why design this Pokemon to have a wheel that it never uses on its body? I don't know. It's it's a very odd choice there. And I do not like it. One bit Pokemon Company. Pokemon Company. Let's talk about terastalizing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So Pokemon in this region can become shiny crystals and grow things from their head that make them more powerful. For example, a chandelier, flowers, and balloons can just sprout from their head <laughs> as you're playing the game. Um, they said you have to use a Terra Orb, and once per battle, Pokemon can transform uh, to enhance their battle strategies by increasing their power for any moves that have the same type as their Pokemon's Terra type. Sometimes the Terra type is different than the Pokemon type, so, like they said, an Eevee can become a grass type once it terra terra How do you even fucking say this? Terraflops. Terastalizes. <laughs> it's like somebody was sitting in a board meeting and they're like, I don't know. Like, what if they become crystals and grow stuff out of their heads? They're like, what do you call that? And he's like, terastalizing. Just well, if call they it crystallize. Crystallizing, yeah. But- yeah. It's yeah. weird. I don't like it. Because it's not... Because like, the Terra means Earth, so that's not accurate. Unless they were like terrestrial. It reminds me of uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield, where they have the Gigantamaxing, and it was just oh, your Pokemon yeah. grow really big, and it was gimmick. It's all that was. I didn't like it one bit. But apparently this has... like Every Pokemon can do this in this region, not just the select few that could Gigantamax in uh, Sword and Shield. So, uh, they also talked about Terra raid battles, uh, which seem to work like the max raid battles, which were apparently a thing. Um, so with friends or alone players can battle and catch wild terrestrial Pokemon. I know none of us are like the, the huge Pokemon fans. And when you think of the Pokemon expert on this podcast, that's chance chance isn't here, but I do have power of attorney over his estate and his affairs. and you uh, ju- He just gave you his thoughts. You don't want to give yourself that kind of power. <laughs> Check your contracts. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> my client. <laughs> my client. <laughs> uh, he has sent us his thoughts. Um, I don't know if these qualify as thoughts so much as facts for, for the game. Um, rideable legendaries to tra- traverse like an Arceus. Four-player co-op with raid battles that are not turn-based. So apparently, during the raid battles, you don't have to wait for everyone else to finish their move. You can just keep attacking. I don't know how that works, but okay. 
Um, gyms are back and you can do them in any order. Uh, new Pokemon like Fido. So this is F I D O U G H. <laughs> like dough. <laughs> Cause yeah, fucking we have Pokemon that are motorcycles now. Why not make them <laughs> a <fucking>? cookie dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and new regional forms like for Whopper. <laughs> a cheeseburger. Yeah, I don't know. And then, yeah, he's just talking about the uh, terastalizing. Um, so not really his thoughts, just telling us stuff. But since I do have power of attorney, I will give you Chance's thoughts, which are he loves it. He fucking loves everything about this. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's Pokemon. Are you guys getting Scarlet and Violet or interested at all? No, nah, I'm not going to make the same mistake I did last time. <laughs> You're going to buy both. We know. Come on. Both, I'm going to buy them digitally. both digitally. <laughs> Jesus, Zach. Maybe. I just feel still kind of burned about Sword and Shield. Like, yeah. I expected those to be a lot, I'd say a lot better. Yeah. This does definitely it, look like a step in the right direction compared to Sword and Shield. But I don't, I don't think it's a huge departure from their formula. The open world is nice. I do like the idea of us just exploring and catching Pokemon co-op. Um, so maybe I'll probably get it. I don't think I'm going to play it right away because uh, November 18th, I'm probably still going to be busy with God of War by then, I think. Um, and then Pentiment is also coming out in November. So November is going to be busy. So we'll Yeah, see. I'm going to be busy with Starfield. In some other alternate reality. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pokemon gonna Pokemon. So, <laughs> Moving on to our topic of show, the state of licensed games. Uh, so we're going to kind of tie this all together, but we're going to talk about what's going on with some licensed games right now. So Knights of the Old Republic is in trouble, according to a report by Bloomberg, also by Jason, Jason Schreier. Uh a lot of news from him in this podcast. If you are not familiar with Knights of the Old Republic, the remake is a remake of the beloved 2003 RPG. Uh, it was, It is being developed by Asper Media. I want to take a look at the timeline that Jason has laid out in this article because I think it is very interesting and uh, we'll kind of talk about it at the end here. So in either 2018 or 2019, Asper Media enters into an agreement with Sony and Lucasfilms uh, Lucasfilm Games to remake Knights of the Old Republic. At the outset of development, Asper told staff and partners it would release the game by the end of 2022. So we we're getting close to that original deadline when they entered that, that contract. And then in February of 2021, so after they've been working on the game for a bit, Embracer Group acquires Asper Media for $450 million. Then in September of 2021, we get the official announcement of this game at the the PlayStation Showcase. It's revealed as a PlayStation exclusive, and by this point, Asper Media has been working on the game for at least two to three years. That's where we get that 2018 to 2019 window, so that we, we don't know the exact moment when this, this contract fell into place or anything. Then May 2022, Embracer Group announces that Saber Interactive will be assisting with the project. So we talked about this on that podcast at the time. I think we said, good, they're getting help. Hopefully the game will come out sooner. 
But then on June 30th, Asper finalized a demo of the game known as a vertical slice uh, to show to production partners at Lucasfilm Limited and Sony Corp Group. The developers were excited about this build and they were saying that they are on track. Um, one person familiar with the discussion suggested that the, the dispar- uh, disproportionate amount of time and money had gone into the demo and that the current project's course wasn't sustainable. So keep that in mind. They're happy with it overall as a developer. They're like, all right, we're going to give a vertical slice to our partners. And then, you know, you know, maybe they were expecting that to be showcased at some event uh, coming up soon. But the following week, so a week after they sent out this, uh, this vertical slice, the company fired design director Brad Prince and art director Jason Miner. So how fucking bad was this vertical slice? Like, <laughs> it, had to be, it had to be horrible. Yeah, but they were confident in it. That's what I don't understand. Um, so Asper Studio heads told staff that the vertical slice wasn't where they wanted it to be, and that the project would be paused. So uh, developers at that time, like now, uh, said that a more realistic target for the project would be 2025. So pushing three oh, years damn. of development, yeah. But like right now, no one is working on it. So it, development is paused, according to this Bloomberg article. Again, take this all with a grain of salt, but Jason usually gets multiple sources to corroborate stories before he publishes anything. So I believe it. I don't know about you guys. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. There's no reason not to, right? I mean, like you said, Jason... Uh, typically does a pretty good job when he's Mm -hmm. like breaking news like that. He doesn't like just do it on a whim or typically does his due diligence. So it's coming from him. It's, I would trust it. So, yeah. And also, uh, star Wars games tend to have a history of ragged development. Yeah. EA, (laughs) the elephant in the room. But, uh, then in a series of meetings throughout July, Asper's two studio heads told employees that the project is on pause and that the company will look for new contracts and development opportunities. So that, that tells me they're like, they're not expecting to finish that project. If they're actively like, all right, we we need to do something else. (laughs) So I just want to know what, how that meeting went with uh, Lucasfilms and Sony after they saw the vertical slice. Because somebody got chewed out, I bet. Right. Because they were probably sitting there like, oh, this will be great. We can absolutely present this. It gets presented, and they're just like, what the fuck is this? They're like, all yeah. right, who said we could present this? You're fired, you're fired, you're fired. And now we fired everybody who we thought was competent, so now there's nobody left. And then if you take a look at Asper Media's history, this starts making more sense. Because they are mostly a porting house. They have done a lot. They've worked with a lot of Star Wars games, but they've all been ports. So they ported uh, yeah, like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, they've ported Knights of the Old Republic uh, 1 and 2 to Switch. They ported the Force Unleashed games, um, Star Wars Republic Commando, Star Wars Racer. Uh, looks like they've done Myth Force, uh, which is a hero melee game or something. But. Uh, they, they don't have a track record of, of making amazing original games. It's usually they're working with other people's, you know, stuff. And 
Usually it's just porting it to a different platform or touching up visuals here and there. This was a from the ground up remake of a beloved game. So a lot of pressures on. So based on this timeline, what I think happened was they came with assets that were very close to the original, more of a remaster than anything of a remake that we would think. And that's why the art director got fired. <laughs> so I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? Honestly, it's, it's a game that, yeah, especially coming off fresh of it. Cause I did beat it earlier this year. Um, honestly, say if it was more of a remaster, I wouldn't be sad. Um, I would. Cause the reports <laughs> that were coming out originally were it was going to be taking elements from one and two and combining it to do more of like a reimagining of like what we've done, like what we've seen with like resident evil two or uh, final fantasy seven remake, like taking the original ideas, but modernizing them and um, changing them. So that's a new experience for people who played the original and for new gamers. But again, that, that sounds like a lot for Asper media who is, who doesn't have that reputation of doing that. And that's not like, I'm not, it's not a knock on Asper Media, but it's yeah, just, it's it's what your lane is. Every like, not everybody is able to do everything. You know, what I mean, yeah, like, it's a lot these to bite Developers off. and publishers have a role within their own gaming community. Like, that'd be something you would expect from a more big time developer. Exactly, because it, it would be because this is a huge project, especially a remake of a beloved game. So it would be like giving the next. Uh, fucking Jurassic world or you know, Jurassic, whatever game or whatever movie to like a four, a two, four or whatever, like an indie development studio, giving them a major IP and expecting a huge scope film out of it. That that's it just doesn't work like that. So Asper media, people from Asper media believe that Saber will be taking over the project completely. What do you guys think? Do you think that's realistic? Do you think Sony and Lucasfilms will just go somewhere else? Do you think this is going to get canceled? What are your thoughts? I I would say it's, I mean, going somewhere else with it is just tantamount to canceling the current project and having them start over. So it, I would almost say it's both. They're going to cancel this project as it's currently constructed, scrap it, go somewhere else with it. They're just going to tell them start over in the way you would. Who would you have them go to? Can I just like say yeah, ideally dream project or whatever? Can I just say respawn? That'd be easy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's realistic because this is like that's EA. They're working with. I mean, the original deal was with Asper before they were acquired by Embracer, so I'm not sure how much Embracer is like involved or how much input they can have can they just give it to another one of their studios they kind of had uh saber help and saber is another one of their studios but i'm sure there's I, something contractually where embrace were like it needs to stay within us or something well the embracer wasn't part when the original contract was done that's why i wanted to lay out the timeline so uh, so but it could so just be yeah because it's some somehow financed by both Lucasfilms and Sony together. That's why it was going to be an exclusive. So would PlayStation just be like, we'll take it over internally. Will would 
Disney be like, okay, we'll find someone else or like Lucasfilms technically Disney, but if, if it, for me, because they're already working with embracer, it makes sense for them to keep it in embracer, but who in embracer do you think could do this? Well, they just acquired the square Enix studios. So fucking give it to Ideos Montreal. Like that, that'd be the best bet. They have history doing Deus Ex. They know how to wake, make these Western RPGs. They know story. We know that. They have a great narrative team over there. They can rework this this beloved game to make it fresh and still, you know, keep the spirit of the original. So I think that would be a great, that would be like an ideal thing. I'm sure they would jump at the opportunity to do that. And I think that's a studio that can handle a project of this when magnitude. Did, when did they acquire them again? How long ago was that? couple months ago wasn't it we, we talked about say, it. like yeah we talked say, about it yeah i know we talked about it. i was gonna say like timeline wise would that have been something that embracer was like would that have like would this have been like the catalyst of them acquiring that square Enix? okay like this is bad we need to give it to somebody we trust we'll just acquire somebody to keep it in-house i don't think or if- it's just it's just, just coincidental I think they acquired them because it was such a good deal. It was right. 300 they, million for three studios and all the IP. So, right. so then this is just more like yeah. a coincidence. This is almost like a, yeah. Like, a happy, hey, fate has, <laughs> has led to this. So that would be my, that would be my way of handling this. If I was in charge of handling this, uh, I'm not sure what the actual, like, you know, fine details of this are, Maybe they will just cancel this and give it to someone else or, you know, completely cut ties with Embracer and Asper and go somewhere else. But either way, we're probably not going to get this game anytime soon. So no, don't hold out hope for that. Because right now nobody is working on it. So I was very excited for this game when they announced it, even with Asper announced as the developers. I just wanted to play it. It's just very disappointing, but what can you do? Switching to a positive note, another licensed game. <laughs> so uh, recently, uh, Jeff Grubb reported that EA's new Seattle studio is early in development on a Black Panther game. That's exciting. It'll be starting with the death of one Black Panther, where players take on the role uh, that is becoming the newest incarnation of the Wakandan hero. Uh, the Seattle studio, the Seattle studio, which was uh, announced in May of 2021 and doesn't have a, a name yet, is headed by ex Monolith VP Kevin Stevens. Um, that when they announced the studio back in May of 2021, they did say it would be focusing on making open world action adventure games. So that fits. Um, does the ex Monolith, the developers of uh, Shadow of War and Mordor? Uh, VP, does that give you any hope? Yeah. What do you guys think of this game? Oh, it's exciting. I mean, Black Panther is like one of my favorite superheroes, if not my favorite one. So it's exciting just for me on a personal level. But then having it with the uh, with the hope or like with the concept of the developers of Shadow of Mordor be there is awesome. I love Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of War wasn't as good as Shadow of Mordor, admittedly, uh, for me personally, but just like the nemesis system as a concept is so cool. And if they could bring that to a black Panther game, I don't know how you would do it. Just like they can't 
because it is uh, trademarked by WB Games. So the Nemesis system is yeah, which is such no, a fucking shit. shit move by WB Games. Oh, like, that sucks so. Bad. Game so development is a... all about iteration and like Could taking. You, like, can they yeah. make it and just not call it a Nemesis system, or is it like the they'd whole have to do it? They they've trademarked the concept of it, so they'd have to do it in a way where it doesn't directly call it like an arch enemy system. That's so trash. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is that a yeah. thing? How do you trademark a? That's a stupid question. How do you trademark a concept? But like, how do you? <laughs> oh yeah, that's. I mean, usually you don't see game development like publishers or developers trademark a system like that because game development is usually iterative and like everybody takes ideas from everyone else and like puts their own twist on it and it evolves. But WB games is like, you know what? We're going to trademark this because we know it's a good idea. And since then it's never been used in another game. They've never (laughs) used it. Yeah. It's only used in those two games or whatever. Like, yeah, maybe it'll come back in uh, the wonder woman game that's in development, but who knows? Oh, it's just such a, it's it's such a unique concept and it's so, I loved it. It it was it was quite easily my favorite part of Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. It makes the game so interesting. It makes just such an yeah. interesting concept. But other than the Nemesis system, the structure and like the movement and stuff of combat Shadow of War similar. and Mordor would translate. I yeah, think, yeah, absolutely. Well. And I, and I think it would be. I mean, those are games that I thought, from a gameplay perspective, were great. I really enjoyed him. So I think this would be awesome, especially for someone like Black Panther, who would be obviously more melee driven anyway. So to have yeah. the similar concepts from Shadow of Mordor and War be yeah. like uh, implemented, I think it's pretty seamless for them. And an open world Wakanda sounds fucking awesome. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you have so much freedom to go wherever you want with that, because we know it's like futuristic, but it has like the um, ancient African like influences and stuff like that and that's a very interesting direction to go you can do a lot culturally and aesthetically Mm -hmm. in that and it'll be a region that can be both like kind of similarly to what they did in shadow of mordor and shadow of war but kind of like the inverse how it took place in mordor and it was a more desolate place and then you kind of had like little areas where it was like a bit more vibrant well now this would be like the inverse where you probably have much more vibrant settings and then a couple places which are like more desolate but you could do a lot environmentally in that in that kind of region yeah what are your guys' thoughts on who the star will be because right now it's confirmed to be a black panther do we think it's going to be t'challa and like the the death will be of uh t'chaka i think you get to create your own yeah i was gonna say you're gonna be really to me i I would probably go with t'challa because you have such a rich history from the comics that we haven't really explored with the MCU. So yeah, you have the whole, you know, elephant in the room with uh, Chadwick Boseman passing away and like he embodied that character, but I think you can still recast that character in a video game in a different medium and you separate yourself from, you know, visually and aesthetically from the MCU by doing a different Wakanda, doing a different art style and you can still keep that character and you can kind of, um, lean more on that lore that they don't get to explore in the MCU because they're choosing not to recast uh, T'Challa in the MCU. So that's my thought process behind it. Would it be awesome to create your own Black Panther? Yeah, sure. But 
it, it would also be nice to have that character's, you know, history and like storylines from the comics explored a little bit more. So, but overall, what are you guys' thoughts on uh, EA handling this? Well, as far as the ex monolith VP um, developing it, that's a good point. Yeah, like they, they know, like circling back to our topic, like they know how to do licensed games. Yeah. They've already proved that, so I, I have I have a lot of good faith in this. Uh, EA, yeah, they, you know, back in the day, leave a bad taste in the mouth, but they seem yeah, like, to be kind of more focusing they're, they're on single player. And, it's it's, it's yeah. interesting, that, yeah, because we had that conversation uh, however long ago on one of the other podcasts. Ubisoft where, is the new EA, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, now we talk about EA, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't have, like, this immense, deep-rooted hatred that I had before. Yeah, it's like definitely like mellowed out as the they, they've been making the right on. choices focusing on the right games vince Zampella is now you know pretty high up in the company and making decisions being in charge of studios they're definitely going in the right direction and i trust them with this now yeah it, yeah it's just like brick said it doesn't leave the bad taste in the mouth as much as it used to where it's like oh ea is doing something this is going to be ruined yeah. Now, if it was Ubisoft, I would be like, oh, right shit. now you're like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna do, guys. Like, yeah, we talked about a licensed game in trouble. We talked about a brand new licensed game. Let's talk about somewhere in the middle. So, Gotham Knights probably hasn't had the best marketing cycle over these last couple years. Uh, it was an originally announced what 2020 in uh, what was their their uh, marketing thing? The the dome the the DC Dome. No. The Fandome. The Fandome. Fandome, yes. <laughs> During the Fandome, they announced it. And uh, we watched it. We, we had a watching party in my place. And I was so hyped for this game. And then I saw the damage numbers. And I saw, like, the live service stuff. And then... I kind of felt bad. I was, like, watching... Deflated. Your, I was watching, like, your excitement crumble in front of you. Yeah. And I felt so. really bad about it because I... I, I I personally was never like super into it, but I know what it feels like. We all know what it feels like to be super amped for a game. And we also know equally the feeling of that expectation falling flat. So to watch it happen in front of me was so depressing. I felt so bad for you. Yeah, especially because right after that, they announced the, uh, the, the new game by Rocksteady, which is a multiplayer third person shooter. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, going back to Gotham Knights. So recently what they've shown, I did like some of the story ideas and like talking about the Court of Owls and stuff. But overall, the gameplay that they've shown has been worrisome, to say the least. So uh, recently, IGN, as part of their IGN first, published 16 minutes of just pure gameplay. And it focuses on an early mission with Batgirl, uh, where she is uh, infiltrating a uh, university and like doing some detective work, it, it had some, uh, uh, like she was following a trail of blood and then she was investigating a crime scene, which was almost point and click adventure where you're like moving a cursor around, uh, identifying stuff and then like kind of drawing conclusions and connecting the dots to figure out an answer to a question. Um, and then they did some like, she found a hidden passage and then you go down there, you make some uh, discoveries and then it kind of goes into a, like a, a section of stealth where you had to like stealth through, you stealth your way through some uh, 
some thugs there. We saw some changes to the combat. So there was ambush and uh, silent takedowns. I'm assuming silent takedowns are like when you want to stay in stealth and then ambush are like when there's a lot of people there and you're just starting a fight. Um, it's going to be like loud and probably do more damage or give you some sort of combo multiplier or something like that. Instead of uh, a stun, you now have an evade button. So, you know, you're evading whichever way. Uh, instead of uh, just one button for melee attacks, you now have a single tap for standard melee attacks. And if you hold the X button, it does a heavy melee attack. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm talking about the Xbox controller, not the PlayStation, just because that's how my mind works. Yeah, right trigger, you're able to grab enemies. Um, they never showed that in the gameplay, but it was a, a little prompt that popped up. Uh, y is now ranged attacks, and it's the same as melee. So you can do a normal ranged attack, or you can do a heavy ranged attack. It seems like the counter system of the Arkham games is gone. So usually when you're playing the Arkham games, when someone's about to attack, a little uh, explanation point pops up above their head, and you press Y at the same time, and... Batman will do a counter and it's a very fluid animation and everything just works. They seem to have taken that away more in favor of giving you more control over the combos. So it's not just mashing X, occasionally hitting B to stun, mashing X, Y to counter, mashing X again. You are going to be doing uh, a, you know the ranged, which is her just throwing the battering, um, a combination of the range, the melee, uh, evades, they have a little uh, a red thing that pops up at the bottom when somebody's about to throw something at you, and then now you have to evade at the right time. So adding a, another layer to the combat. And I haven't actually played it, so I don't know how it will feel because the Arkham combat always felt very fluid, and I enjoyed it a lot. I personally don't know if we needed a change, but I'm not ready to make a judgment on it until I've played it. Rick, how do you feel? It's definitely different. Yeah, you kind of got to change it up a bit. They've been using the same formula for what over ten years now. Like well over ten nine was Arkham Asylum. Asylum, yeah. And especially with these new characters with their uh, different abilities, you know, you're not just playing as Batman the entire time. You know, you have to Mm -hmm. switch it up and kind of explore what these kids have. Yeah, and each of them plays a little differently. Uh, Batgirl seems to play most like Batman. From the Arkham games, so she'll probably be my character of choice. Um, I just think WB has done a bad job with marketing so far, and they've been showing these other things because they think that's what people care about. Look at all this new armor that you're earning. Look at the damage numbers popping up and all that stuff. But I personally don't care about that. So this pure gameplay looked the most like an Arkham game and got me the most excited. What about you guys? Yeah, I was a little distrusting about it, mainly because I'm a big Batman guy, and it's a Batman game, but without Batman. Um, but the gameplay did look fun, it did look familiar, uh, did have the detective work, which is what I love about Batman. Um, I'm much more intrigued. You know, before I was uninterested, I figured it'd be a kind of a write-off. Um, I figured uh, with the Rocksteady uh, Suicide Squad game, it would probably be a little more like gutsy and fun but this actually does now pique my interest yeah i mean i was already gonna get it because i'm what am i not gonna get a batman game technically batman family game um also there's no way batman is dead right (laughs) 
that that's that's a red herring or he's going to come back by the end of the game or something like that but i will pizza bet someone right now if they want to that batman is not official like he's not completely dead in this game so yeah i will not take that bet (laughs) (laughs) zach what are your thoughts on this um I agree with what you guys are saying, especially from the perspective of this looking, the gameplay that we saw looking the most like an Arkham game. Um, The thing is, from like a, talk about it from a marketing thing, I think the reason why they're having a little bit of a departure from like the similar style of combat, especially compared to the Arkham games, is because this, it's different characters, like like you guys were saying. It's also just like not an Arkham game. Um, So they probably don't want to they want it to be probably similar, but not so much so where you could be sitting there and be like, oh, why not just like go and play the Arkham games or something or make another Arkham game? Or they probably want to have it be at least a little bit different so you can kind of explore it in a different way gameplay-wise. But I do understand kind of like the... Like why depart from a gameplay system that has been effective um, and that has been really enjoyable. So I kind of get uh, both sides of it. I wonder if they did it as well because if if the combat was like exactly like the Arkham games and everybody would want to be Batgirl maybe because of the similarity and like the, the comfort of like the gameplay that they all know. So maybe that's why they are having a little bit of a departure from it. Um, but I agree with what you guys are saying from everything that we've seen from it so far, this was the most, this was the most like compelling thing where like, Oh yeah, like I'm not, I'm probably not going to be getting this like day one or something like that, but this was the most, compelling thing from oh yeah i'd be interested in getting this Mm -hmm. yeah and it does have co-op so that's another layer like i'm i'm i was excited for that to begin with because you get to fuck around in the bat universe with somebody else so um either way i'm gonna get it i'm i was expecting to be disappointed initially but now i have a little bit more uh faith in it what's the co-op number again on it I think it's two people co-op, but it's like drop in, drop out. So you don't even have to do a full mission. I could be in the middle of a mission and then it's like, hey, Robin just flew in. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so why did we talk about all these licensed games? How do these all relate? So it, w- it was basically to highlight the different methods different companies are using for their IP. So... Uh, WB Games keeps all their games internally developed with their fully owned and operated studios. Disney has decided to go the third party, um, making deals with different developers to work on single properties, um, sometimes different you know properties with the same character with different people. But those are overall the two methods that we've seen work. And that's Lucasfilms does that with all of the Disney property. Um, WB games does that with like DC and so, yeah, they keep all their IP internally. They have their own studios working on it. There are pros and cons to each method. So which one, which method do you guys think works the best? I'm going to say, um, I, I like by personally like the Disney method of kind of contracting it out. You get a lot more variety. You get a lot more flair. Yeah, you do get a lot more uh, uncertainties as far as you know the KOTOR remake, but you also get like the variety. 
like what we have midnight suns coming out which is kind of like you said yeah. XCOM. you get the more risky odd pairings that you wouldn't normally in this situation yeah we have the old republic game coming out that's uh more like story driven like you have a strong variety rather than a couple studios kind of just rehashing the same thing exactly and with wb their their whole uh track record hasn't been great either like this is uh wb games montreal working on gotham knights they released uh arkham origins in what 2013 yeah october 25th 2013 so almost a decade in between games clearly they were working on other things in between that time but with wb games doing it internally there's kind of a a measure of quality they want to hit maybe that isn't realistic uh, a measure of quality that's set by a different studio because WB Montreal isn't the ones that have made the Arkham games famous. That was Rocksteady. So now they're being compared to their other studios. Meanwhile, if you're licensing it, you're looking at just the deal. It doesn't have to be like, like I'm not expecting um, Guardians of the Galaxy to be the same quality level as like uh, Avengers or something like that. I know people are going to be making those comparisons, but those are two different deals with two different um, developers. Yes, it is the same publisher, but uh, two very different games because the deal um, is the the licensing model just works that way. So um, you can have a game like Marvel Midnight Suns, which is probably not mass appealing to everybody, but Disney is okay with green lighting it because they're like, that's fine. We have other superhero games in development from other publishers that are coming out in a similar time. So even if this one, you know, doesn't really meet our expectations, it's not a big deal. It's going to find some audience that people who like the XCOM games are going to play this. Meanwhile, WB games is like, this game has to sell millions of copies to be profitable. So we're not going to, we're not going to green light anything that's too risky we're going to play it safe. We're going to try and do sequel stuff in the same genre stuff that our studios are comfortable with. So you do have that probably a, a better measure of quality if you do it internally, but less risky. So I, I personally, I, if you had asked me a while ago, like, uh, like the heyday of the, the X, uh, Arkham games, I would have said, keep it internally because you have that level of quality. But nowadays when you're getting so many different announcements for so many different Marvel and Disney properties and so many unique games that sound like they will work, I think the the licensing out model is probably the better one. Um, for example, Nintendo licensed out the Mario license to Ubisoft and now we are getting Mario plus Rabbids because when that game was first announced, I completely wrote it off and then I bought it on sale and I played through it and I really loved it. And I'm really excited for the sequel coming out this year. So I think maybe you can do a combination of both. Maybe you have internal studios, but you're also licensing out. Zach, your thoughts. Yeah. And I think, I think what you guys said was really poignant. I think you both made really good points on the side that how Disney's gone about it with the third party deals. Um, I think the two most important things is looking. So from what Rick said, there's 
if you license it out, you get the, the variety is huge, and that that yields more innovation from a gameplay perspective. Um, and you can do it quicker. And you can do it, yeah, at a at a quicker pace and release more games in in less time. Um, but then you also look at it from where if you if you were to keep it in house, you have more consistency of the gameplay of the quality and stuff like that. But you might lose the innovation that could be happening because it's one frame of mind or one kind of template. So then you don't get that growth. And I think for what you said, Pat, when you're looking at it, if we were to ask you like 10 years ago, which we would have done, well, that just shows how far gaming's come in that time because like that innovation was able to occur and that like gameplay developers and stuff were able to learn over those like 10 years or so to bring about something more unique. So it shows a bit more forward thinking as well to do that licensing out, to push it out to other studios. Because not only that, it also breeds like competitiveness amongst the people who are being, these games are being licensed out to. Oh, this studio did a great job doing this. Now can this other studio or developer one up them or something? And then you're driving forward more innovation, more uniqueness in the gameplay and stuff like that. and but at the same time, like you said, it's not an apples to apples comparison because each studio will do something different. Each game is going to look a little bit different. So then you don't run into the the comparison now of oh, I need to compare it to this game when we know that's like an apples to oranges comparison and it's not fair. So then you don't run into that issue either. So there's I think there's more cons to keeping it in house um, as opposed to pushing it out to third parties. There is definitely cons for third parties as well because one of the follies of licensing it out is licensing it out to an exclusive deal. Like we saw with the EA star Wars license. Right. Yeah. For like nine to 10 years, that was all only star Wars games were done by EA. And that again, limits it similar to how you have it in house. Um, but a, another example would be the Spider-Man license. They don't like, no one else can make, uh, only a Spider-Man game. Like, yeah. Uh, the Avengers got the license to Spider-Man to put in their game, but that's only on PlayStation platforms. Um, right now, only PlayStation is doing Spider-Man games. They're doing that internally with Insomniac because they have an exclusive contract with uh, um, Lucasfilm Games for that, the Marvel properties, because the movie deal, and that's just how it works out. But think of how, if that license would to open up, it wouldn't take away the insomniac games. It would just add other games that other developers could make. Hopefully not like a carbon copy of what insomniac is doing, but you could do other games. Like they could do a black suit Spidey game or like a, a spider woman game or, you know, a spider Gwen game or something like that. Um, and we would get them with more frequency than we would with just insomniac working on it. So I, I think you definitely have to do, you have to open it up. You can't just do exclusive deals with people. I think that's a big problem. Support subtitles. Wow. <laughs> so let's move on to subpar subtitles. So subpar subtitles is a game we like to end the podcast with, where I basically take the uh, principle that game developers like naming their game with franchise colon subtitle. And that's S-U-B hyphen T-I-T-L-E. For example, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the best game of 2018. 
So, so basically, I'm going to give you a fake subtitle, and I'm going to mix, intermix it with a bunch of real ones as our panel's job here to figure out which one is the fake one. Uh, scores are three for Chance, three for Rick, and six for Zach. So, are you guys ready? Yeah. Yep. Fish and Ships. Santa's Curse. The Fire Nation. The Ninth Gate. And Nothing Else Remains. I'm going to say those once more for those of you listening at home. Fish and Ships. Santa's Curse. The Fire Nation. The Ninth Gate. And Nothing Else Remains. Zach, since you're in the lead, why don't we start with you? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Fire Nation. The Fire Nation for Zach. Rick? I'm going to go with the Ninth Gate. The Ninth Gate for Rick. Now, for the twist. So you have the option to either keep your answers, and you will get three points if it is correct, or you could choose to say all real or all fake. If you say all real or all fake, and that is indeed the case, you get a total of six points. So, Zach... What will you decide? I am going to say they're all fake. Zach is saying all fake. Rick. I also kind of want to say all fake. Join me. Because I know the Ninth Gate is a movie. Do it. I'll do it. All fake for Rick as well. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. No. Fish and (laughs) ships. Not a real game. Come on. Elves. Santa's curse. Real game. Damn. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is all fake. All fake. Let's go. <laughs> Santa's Curse, not a real game. The Fire Nation, not a real game. The yeah. Ninth Gate is a, is a movie with, uh, <laughs> what's his face? Um, uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Nothing Else Remains is also a fake Let's go over it. So, scores are now uh, nine for Rick, 12 for Zach, and... Uh, Still three for... Poor chance. <laughs> three for chance. That's <laughs> what he gets for going to the Cactus Festival. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember, you can catch us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. You can reach us with any questions, comments, concerns. You know, talk about how chances that, I don't know, something with Cactus. <laughs> Fill in <laughs> your own joke there. At the Untitled Gaming Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on our social media. On Twitter, we are at T-U-G-P-O-D. On Instagram, we are at T-U-G underscore P-O-D. On Facebook, we are the Untitled Gaming Podcast. And on Twitch, we are twitch.tv slash T-U-G-P-O-D. We also ask that you subscribe and leave us reviews. Five-star reviews for us. One-star review for every other Is Pat talking? I can't tell. Uh, I think he's he's muted. Yeah, I started freaking out. I checked my audio settings. Yeah, <laughs> it's like checking everything. Like everyone, I was like, uh, I was like, suddenly everyone has stopped talking. <laughs>